Welcome everyone to the club champion series presented by Accelerate Golf. Today, we are honored to have Chris Watson, who's a four time club champion, 2010, 2012 Rock Ridge golf club champion, 2018 Tashwa Knowles men's club champion and 2022 Tashwa Knowles senior men's club champion. Uh, he's a very accomplished player qualified for the 2012 US Mid-Am and we are very happy to have him here today. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Bikram. Thank you for having me. This is great. So why don't I just start from the very beginning, Chris? Tell us about your golf journey. How did you get into golf and how did you progress through to become a scratch player? Well, Bikram, it really started almost as, as soon as I could walk. I was born into I was born into a golf family. My parents loved to play. My uncle loved to play all different family members. And it was something that ever since I was about four, I, I remember going out and, and hitting golf balls. And it was just something that, that we did as a family. It was an activity that we were always, you know, we were always involved in athletics, but it was something that we, uh, I've done my entire life. That's, that's great. So it sounds like this was a family affair and you started very young. And where were you at that time? Which which golf club were you, you know, where, where were you at? So we were in Scarsdale, New York. I, I spent my formative years in Scarsdale, New York, and it was mostly at a driving range. And, and a lot of, which is a driving range, which unfortunately now is a nursery. That kind of goes back to, to tell you how long ago that, that driving range was there. But I just remember it as a kid, my parents made it fun. My, my, anybody that took us made it, made it fun. It was, you know, hit it as hard as you can go after the flags. And it had one of those little pop-up, the, the balls you'd hit a, a lever and then the ball would pop up out of nowhere on this tee. And so, you know, they always made it enjoyable. It was something that we always did. Uh, on occasion, there was some public golf that we would go out and play when we got big enough and, and old enough. And I was also lucky enough to have uh, an uncle who belonged to Scarsdale Golf Club, and he would take us out uh, on occasion uh, in those formative years. But it wasn't until about 82 that I really got lucky, and my father um, joined Westchester Country Club in Rye, New York. And that's really where uh, the the love of the game kind of took hold, and and where I was able to to have the greatest playground in the world to go out and and play every day. And on that foundation, so right around when you were ten years old, you know, you were part of the Westchester Country Club. And then tell us what happened. Then did you get into the high school team? What level of play were you at? Uh, what was your handicap at that time? So I, I probably was a, uh, you know, in, in when we first joined Westchester, I was probably in that that ninety to a hundred range. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I really didn't have a lot of formal training outside of my my family members, but. You know, as I said, we were really lucky and we had this golf playground to 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 play in. And that's really when we started getting some lessons and we started getting into some clinics and where we really 
learned how to to really put together somewhat of a short game. Westchester is noted for having a, a couple of fantastic 18-hole golf courses, but they also have a par three course where us kids used to they, they used to shuffle us over to the par three course, and and that was really where myself and my brother, who's only a few years younger than I was, we would go out and and really learn how to to play around the greens and and to develop somewhat of a game. It was during that time where I probably went from being, let's call it a, a 20-ish handicap and started to, to slowly get that handicap down to where when I entered high school, it was somewhere around, say, a 15, okay. uh, 10 to a 15. But it was also during that time where my uncle gave us a wonderful incentive for every stroke that we took off of our handicap. He would incentivize us by giving us $20 or, or $50 for every stroke for the summer. So it really became one of those things where you sit there and say, okay, let, let's see how good we can get. And that was, was a, a fun little incentive just to, to help us not only go out and hit balls or go out and play, but also learn how to play the game. Wow. That sounds like a very, you know, very uh, effective setup. And <laughs> were you taking lessons at that time? Was there good instruction available? And do you think that was a major factor in your improvement? There was. There, there was a lot of, of solid instruction at that time. You know, Westchester is known for for having some some very, very good pros. But we kind of had clinics that we were a part of we would go and and have some private lessons and a lot of it was being able to to just hone our swing and if the one thing that i remember was just try to be consistent be consistent with everything that you do and also another big key was and this this is kind of that that older school teaching of golf is own your swing that instructor is not going to be able to help you when you get out on onto the to the golf course to play. So you're going to have to be able to figure it out. And that was one of the 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 gifts I think that the that the teachers had for us at that time, which was understand what you're doing and own your swing, and you'll be able to get out of any issue that that you might happen to have in the middle of a round. Wow, that's that's actually very helpful in tournament play, isn't it? It really is because, you know, it, you can take any of those players out there. Yes, you can get on a hot streak. And, and to this day, I know enough about what I'm able to do to maybe fix a problem in the middle of a round or at least learn how to to deal with the problem in, in the middle of the round. You know, as a as a once a week or twice a week golfer that that you become when you have a job and family and and all the rest um if you want to play it at somewhat of a high level you have to understand of what you're doing and be able to either work with it or fix it right right so coming back to when you were getting into high school you were about a 15 handicap and yep. then take us forward from there yeah so so high school we played and and again we had a, a pretty darn good team in fact uh, we had a lot of good players which which added to 
that idea of competitiveness and trying to get better and trying to be the, the better player on the team. Uh, and between that and my uncle's incentivizing us, uh, you know, it really, it, it that's when I took a, a pretty big leap as far as getting to that, that single digit, or even at that time, the high single digit handicap player and also understand what it's like for for competition so that was really the the growth period early on of having that foundation understanding that the short game is really the big key to scoring and it it enabled me to to be able to get better just because of the level of competition that i was able to play both at in inner club level in in Westchester as well as in high school and, and then college got it and which high school were you were you at I was at New Canaan High School in New Canaan Connecticut okay so that's you know a pretty strong golf team if I understand that yes it was and and as I said we we won our our conference my freshman year we get so even from walking on the on campus as this you know freshman who at the time you think you know everything and you realize that you're around a lot of pretty good golfers and you have to show up and and that's kind of where that competitive nature of my golf was is is I enjoyed that and I enjoyed playing against other people and and trying to figure out ways to beat them and on a team like that it was it was just it was tough to do uh but you know it, i was lucky enough as i said to to always be surrounded by a lot of pretty good talent that kind of continued me driving to try to be better and after high school you did you play college golf i did i played with a division three team called bethany college out in bethany west virginia you know again it's you're you're put into a situation where you know you might think that you're good or you might think that you're coming from a, a, a hotbed of golf in and in, in the middle of West Virginia and it turned out to be not true I mean it was a lot of good players uh, again with that team and and the surrounding conferences and it you really learn how to to kind of become competitive, try to get better and, and really understand what it takes to be successful to, at that level. And what was your level of play at that time? I was close to, you know, I was, I was close to lower single digit, close to a scratch, you know, probably a, a three or a four, a constant three or a four. And you know, you, you're always trying to get better. And the idea, and that's really one of the first places when I was there for for uh, my freshman year, that's one of the first places that I started to think, well, maybe I can potentially do this as a, as a career and, and something to try. And I ended up leaving school at, at one point and going down to Florida to try to make it as a as a professional wow so that must have been an interesting time in florida it was you know and and you realize how many good players that are out there 
And, and that's really, I think there was a combination at the time between my drive and, and you realize that there are people there who are sacrificing everything and, and my maturity level, I don't think was at that point. And I it had a tendency to get a little distracted with some other things. And I realized that, that at that time I didn't have the, really the, the uh, ability or the drive and, and the passion to always practice and always play to be successful at that level. That wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't at that time really what I, I desired and wanted. And then you realize if you don't have that desire and you don't have that drive, it becomes very difficult to be competitive at, at that level. And it was, it turned out to be a very short stint but a great stint and a, and a lot of fun. And I did learn a lot about how good those guys really are. And a lot of those people that I played with at that level still didn't make it to the PGA tour. You know, the, the talent level at the, the top end of the, of the golf spectrum is incredibly good. So when you compare your game at that point to the guys who were better than you, who were actually some of them who made it to the PGA tour, what was the difference? Well, a lot of it was consistency is, you know, there was still a lot of, you know, I wasn't as consistent. I could hit the ball as far as a lot of those guys. I can putt somewhat as well as a lot of those guys. And I had areas where I could go and shoot a low number, but I couldn't shoot a low number over a three day or four day consistent basis. And that was that's that separation is when they made a bad shot or they missed a shot, they missed it at the right side of the green, or they missed it in the right place where they weren't going to get into a lot of trouble. There was a lot of elimination of um, higher numbers. So yes, you'll, you might make a bogey at there, out there, but you're not going to make a double or a triple and you're not going to be able to come back from that. Plus the ability to go out and, and make a lot of birdies is, is something that is, a, it really is tough to do mentally, to be honest. It, it's very, very difficult to sit there and to consistently go low. And there has to be a right makeup. You have to be consistent. You have to be a really, really solid putter. And you have to have the right makeup to not be afraid to go low. And, and that's, you know, that, that, that's an interesting combination to put together. And that's why, again, these guys are so good. That's very interesting. So what happened after that, that stint in Florida? So I left, when I left Florida, I kind of put my clubs away for a couple of years. I ended up working and getting into my advertising career in New York, I ended up living in New York and really only playing a handful of times every year. And somewhere in that, in that mix, I had an opportunity to play in a corporate outing and had one of those days where, you know, I, I don't know if, if how relatable it is, but I find it after every long layoff, you go back and you have that one round early on in the season where it's like, wow, I'm making everything. I can hit it wherever I want. I can do all the rest. And, and I had that, that experience and I've refound the love for the game. And I refound my passion for the game. And I found 
you know, that, that I wanted to play more often and that I wanted to, to see uh, again, how, how good I can become. And it was at that point that I was working with an instructor at Westchester called Tom Patry, who really kind of ingrained into my head, not only the consistency of what I was doing as far as being able to practice and what I should be practicing and, and what I should be working on, but also how to play a golf course. And that really to this day is in, in my mind, the most important thing that I could do to be able to get better and, and to be able to kind of maintain a high level. And I guess that was very similar to what you mentioned about the guys who made it to the PGA tour, who were that class of golfers yeah. was that they were able to manage the course. Yeah. Yeah, it's it really and that's that's such a key thing. And it's something that I tell a lot of my friends who are, you know, maybe in the, the mid mid teen handicappers or 20 handicappers is learn how to play a golf course and learn how to play a golf course really from the, the green back. How do I get to the green? Well, it's best if I hit it in this spot to be able to get it into the middle of the green. Okay. So how do I get there? And it doesn't necessarily mean always pull driver. It sometimes it's, you know, maybe I hit an iron or maybe I hit a three wood or maybe I hit a hybrid into that area and then put it into the middle of the green and then two putt. Hey, listen, I just made four. Okay. All right. I made part next on to the next hole. And, and by eliminating some of those larger numbers, by getting into trouble, by pulling a driver on every tee or, or doing something that I can cut this corner or I can hit it over this water, find out the best way to get it onto the middle of the green. And then your short game takes care of that, of everything after that. Yes. Yes. I think that's really good advice for a lot of golfers. And it also cuts down the frustration in the game because, mm. you know, one day you're shooting 80, the other day, the next day you're shooting 88. And then you're like, what's going on here? But this is great advice for all of us out there struggling to score better. It really, you know, and, and that enjoyment of the game, you know, we only have, especially living up in the Northeast, we only have a limited window to, to, to play during the year when you're not covered up in all the warm weather gear. And you really wanna have your, your best enjoyment of the game. And for those of us who don't get a chance to practice all that often and, and don't get a chance to, to really work on your game on a consistent basis, it's doing things mentally by saying, okay, how, what's the best way for me to get it, the ball in the hole? And it might be hitting five iron, five iron into the middle of a green to be able to make four. Okay, we didn't give ourselves maybe a birdie opportunity, but you know what? We eliminated the double bogey, which right. is always a big thing. Yes, yes. And so which which years were these? Was this like the early 2000s when you were working with Tom Patrick? This was mid 90s. So mid -90s. it was the mid 90s. I, I really started to find that passion again and, and find that ability to, to come out and play. I had an opportunity to move out of the city and I lived in Rye and, and went to the Rye Golf Club and they had a great facility and they had a couple of different uh, guys that are out there that were great players and I got into their group and, and again, that idea of 
practicing on your short game, making sure that you can get up and down from everywhere and putting. By doing that, I realized that my scores went down greatly and, and a pretty good clip where over a short period of time, I went from, you know, probably when I picked the, the club up again, I was probably in the, you know, six, seven, eight handicap range. And I was able to get down, down to low single digits pretty quickly just by really concentrating on shots from 100 yards and in and around the greens and, and figuring out golf, golf courses. That, that really is where I saw a huge jump in, in my ability kind of moving forward. So even to get to the six, seven, eight handicap range, you need to be a good ball striker. Tell us about how, uh, and you know, how did you become a good ball striker? And even today, how do you maintain that level of consistency in your ball striking? Well, you said the word, and it's consistency. It's the ability to go out and and have a swing. You know, I've talked to a lot of people and they say, you know, they might be a 10, 12, 15 handicap and they go, well, I can't draw the ball. I can't draw the ball. And I said, well, why, why are you trying to draw the ball? You don't have all the hours to draw the ball. Find out what your swing is. And that really is where I found out over a lot of different years and just hitting balls that I'm a natural fader of the golf ball. So especially during that period of time, I sat there and said, okay, I can eliminate the entire left side of the golf course. And I know that I'm going to hit a fade or a little cut or at, you know, if it goes dead straight, I can still aim up the left side of the golf course and just let everything peel right to this day. And I'm what right around a one handicap. I am not comfortable drawing the ball. And it's because I really don't have the time to to consistently work on it to make sure that that's a a strong part of my game. I rely on hitting that cut. So by going off and saying, okay, this is the way I hit the ball. This is the way I go and swing. Everybody's swing is different. Nobody's going to swing exactly. You even look on tour, you know, Rory and Scotty Scheffler and, and, you know, you can look at all of the top players not all of them swing alike. They right. all have their own idiosyncrasies. So by going out and hitting balls in the range and under and working with a teacher, obviously that's a big thing. And, and I still work to this day with a, a number of different guys that will just tell me, okay, you're doing this or you're doing this. Let's work on making that consistent. And understanding what you're doing, understanding what your swing and kind of moving on from and, and working with that you're going to see a lot of, you know, you're going to see a, a huge decrease in your scores by understanding this is what I can do and I'm going to work within that. So it sounds like you have a very good mental picture of your swing, what you want it to be. And do you use any apps or any technology or any training aids to fine tune that or keep it consistent? So I, I rely on a lot of video. And so this is one of the things that I started doing back back when I was working with Tom Patry at Westchester. I've continued it with with Brian Hussey at Rock Ridge and Jeff Jones and Dave Beauvais, who's who's at Toshua now, is let's take a look at a video and let's see what my swing looks like. And then with the way that you have 
you know, phones now, you can take a, a video at any point in time. I can see what I'm doing. And then just through the visualization, which I happen to be a very visual person, that I can see that visual, I can see it on, on screen, understand what I'm doing and be able to just tweak it a little bit. I'm not gonna make any major changes. Again, with major changes, you have to hit a lot of balls and you have to be consistent about your practice and you have to go out there. You really don't have the time, or at least I, you know, I don't as a working professional and, and you know, with kids and, and a wife and, and your time is limited. So what I can do with what I have to be as consistent as possible and that really is the 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 key to the whole thing is being able to to take a look at that video understand what i'm doing have those guys pointed out to me to make sure that it's correct and then just continue to work with that when i'm at the range i'll have my girls if i go hit balls with my girls i'll have i'll have them videotape my swing and they'll usually critique it because they're, you know, teenagers. But, <laughs> you know, a lot of that is, it's just another fun thing to do. Right. Um, so is there one particular move in your golf swing, which is the key to your whole swing? I really, you know, I have a trigger right now, which is I'm trying to use my left forefinger to push the, the club back. But really the one thing that's consistent that I've found throughout everything is balance. If I'm balanced at the end of a golf swing, I must have done a lot of things right to get there. And that's the one thing that I consistently try to go back to is I want to be on every swing balanced. You kind of take a picture in your mind of, of all of the great finishes that you see on the PGA Tour, or the LPGA Tour, or, or even some some good high level amateurs when they're hitting the ball well they're balanced they're perfectly balanced and they have that that high hand finish and chest out to the target and you're just in that position i want to make sure that i feel like i'm there every single time and you know again this is something that i use with friends of mine who ask me well what can i do to get better i said make sure that you're balanced at the finish because if you do that and you're there, your tempo is good and you must have done a lot of good things to get to that position. So that's really the key for me. So now, you know, taking us from the mid 90s where you were maybe a low single digit handicapper to your experience in the 2012 US Mid-Am, because a lot of people try to get into one of the USGA events, a lot of us fail. So that would have been a really memorable experience for you. So talk about that whole experience. It really, the, the 2012 Mid-Am was fantastic. And that was, you know, that's that's kind of the culmination of a dream. And that's one of the things that I'm grateful that the USGA puts these kind of events together, whether it's the US Amateur or the US Open or, or the US Mid-Am. If your handicap's low enough, you can enter in and play them. It was just last month that I attempted to, to play in that U.S. Mid-Am again, and I ended up un, unfortunately missing the playoff by one. But that experience is really like a tour event. You get treated like a, a tour member, and you're sitting there as one of, as they said at the time, 254 of the best amateurs over 25, or 25 and over. And, 
it really made me understand that that even being a professional and or being a, a working professional with a career and family that I can still get to that level and I can still play. Plus it keeps those dreamers, it keeps that dream alive that that I gave up on years and years ago about playing on tour is, is if you win the US Mid-Am, you're lucky enough to get an invite to the Masters and get an invite to the US Open. So, you know, that, that dream is still there that, that you can go and you can play at that level. But to, to be a part of that and to be able to make it out in Conway Farms and in Chicago and to play against such an unbelievably great collection of high-level amateur talent who in the vast majority of these guys never will go pro or they had gone pro and then they, they came back and, and got their amateur status back. Uh, these guys are true amateurs and they're true career amateurs. And to be a part of that was, was just a special event. That's fantastic. So tell us about the level of play at that tournament. I'm sure you ended up playing with guys who were, you know, phenomenal golfers. Was it intimidating at all? How did you handle your game and actually your emotions during that time? It was, it was very difficult to say the least. And it was very easy at that point to, to get overwhelmed. I'd never played at that level of competition before. And when you arrive there, and as I said, they treat you like a, like it's a tour event and with roped off galleries and, and, you know, all the, the different amenities that you see these, these tour players get, it, it exactly was like that. I had my brother on the bag, which was, you know, a wonderful experience, but it is intimidating, you know, because there is that, it was my first time being out there. I sit there and I'm hitting balls next to a guy who won the event two or three times. And I'm down the, you know, I'm chipping around uh, an area or playing in a practice area of the guy who was the defending champ. And you sit there and you realize, okay, you forget that that your game got you there and all of a sudden you're going oh i wish i had their ability to chip the ball or i wish i had his putting stroke or i wish i had, you know and and some of that that doubt creeps in and it really becomes a very intimidating thing i didn't handle it particularly well the first day i think it took me about 18 to say 27 holes before i started feeling my hands which is very, which makes for a very difficult couple of rounds, but it, it was a wonderful experience and one that I'm desperate to get back to, and really am, am pushing forward to 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 make it back one day because I know that I could I would handle it differently, but to see that level of talent and to see that ability, the way that these guys are fantastic ball strikers and and great putters and still be career amateurs. It's, it's fun to see, it's fun to be around. And I, as I said, I can't wait to get back there. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear the hunger in your, and the desire in your voice. So good luck with, you know, all your future endeavors there. Any parting advice for the common golfer out there based on your experience? to enhance the enjoyment of the game or how to improve their game. 
I think you've touched upon quite a few things, but any parting advice there? Yeah, I, I just say enjoy the game. Enjoy it. It's something that you could do. As I said, I, I grew up in a family of golfers, and to this point, I still play. Uh, my my mom, who's in her late 70s, my father, who's in his, his early 80s, they still play multiple times in, uh, a week. We still get out there uh, as a family. My girls play. My wife plays. It's something that is just a wonderful game that you can play for a lifetime and play with families. Enjoy it. Don't take it too seriously. You know, I find myself at times trying to to enjoy it. Find a good group of people to play with and just go out and play. I find that it's one of the best games in the world to just meet people and and have that experience with people and you know always visit your your pga tour pro or sorry pga of america pro at at each one of your facilities just to get the basics down and just to understand what to to do and how to play better but really find find your group get out there and enjoy this game Thank you very much, Chris. I think your story is quite inspiring, actually. And, you know, to maintain that level of play for as long as you've done, it's it's wonderful to hear all the secrets behind your success. <laughs> I, I wish you, you know, the very best moving forward. And thank you once again for your time. Thanks, Bikram. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Take care.